that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, you know, we could spend several hours talking to you from the word of God, showing you that the bread here represents the body of Jesus. It does not become the body of Jesus. You understand that? This juice represents the blood of Jesus. It does not literally become the blood. It represents the blood. Okay, so there's a doctrine of transubstantiation that says that, you know, when the priest prays over this or whatever, that this actually turns into the body and the blood. It it does not. It's representative. You understand that? All right. So you you need to know that I could teach several hours and prove that to you from the Scripture. Also, some teach that unless you receive communion, you can't go to heaven. How many of you know that you can go to heaven without ever receiving communion? Because, you you know, it, you get to go to heaven through faith in Jesus, not through receiving communion. You understand it? So it's like water baptism. You can go to heaven if you've never been water baptized. Okay? You know? You get to go to heaven through faith in Jesus, not through water baptism. But you see, unfortunately, religion wants to tack things on to faith in Jesus. The Bible teaches we're saved by grace through faith alone plus nothing. You understand that? Faith in Jesus. So, I believe in water baptism. I just don't believe that it will help save you. You understand? I believe in receiving communion. I just don't believe in that it will help, it'll help save you. Do you understand that? Right. There's a lot of people think that because they're water baptized or because they receive communion that that, that that completes the formula of salvation. But it does not. So are we all clear on that? Okay. But so having said that, it is important that we approach this bread and this juice with total respect because of what it represents. It re- represents the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Now, the people in 1 Corinthians... Uh, the Corinthian church and Paul wrote to them in the first letter to the Corinthians and he warned them about approaching the uh, Lord's table, the Lord's supper with complete reverence and respect because many of them were not doing that. And, uh, and he said, for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you and many die young. Um, and so that's pretty serious, isn't it? And uh, they were they were handling the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus that that which represented the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus, not respectfully. They were not doing it respectfully, and uh, they weren't properly discerning the Lord's body. And because of that, again, many were weak and sickly, and many were dying young. Uh, and so we want to approach it with all due respect. Can you say Amen? Okay, so now that wasn't in my notes, but I think that was good to say. Uh, Now, notice here in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, do this in what of me? In remembrance. So, we're going to completely and totally this morning remember what Jesus did for us. Notice in verse 26, for as oft as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's what? Death. This morning we're going to center in on the Lord's death because he said that he said as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. So we're going to be centering in this morning, remembering the Lord's death, his death. Now, I also believe he was resurrected from the dead. How about you? I believe that. But this morning I'm going to be centering in on his death. Okay. But I want you to know that on the third day he was raised from the dead, okay? Now, to understand Jesus' death, we must realize he was paying the penalty for Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. 
That's what he was doing. And certainly it included us too because we're all descendants from Adam and Eve, aren't we? And you know, God said to Adam, he said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely what? Die. And they ate that day. But it's interesting, they didn't die for hundreds of years. Now, did God lie? No. So what's up with that? They ate and they didn't die for hundreds of years. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. If you study that Hebrew word die, it really says this. In dying, you shall die. That's what God told him. Really, that's what he told him. In English, we get the word die. But in the Hebrew, he said, in dying, you'll die. There was, there was more than one death that took place when Adam ate of that, that fruit. And when Eve ate of it. You see, the penalty for man's sin, listen to this, was, was, was basically threefold. Spiritual, physical, and eternal Spiritual death. See, when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they died spiritually. What does that mean? Their spirit was cut off from the life of God. See, when when we think of death, most people think of a ceasing to exist. But that's not what death means. In Scripture, death means, now death can mean that, but in Scripture, death means, we're allowed to say separation. Death means separation. And you see, when Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, they were separated from the life of God. We could say it this way. They died spiritually. Their spirits were cut off from the life of God. And then because of that, eventually there would be a physical death. And that happened. See, when they ate of that fruit, the moment they ate of it, they died spiritually. Their spirits were cut off from the life of God. That day, that instant. But then it took, it, took, it took hundreds of years for the physical to catch up with that. And, and, and the time came when physical death occurred and they died physically. What does that mean? The spirit leaving the body. That's physical death. The book of James said the body without the spirit is dead. You remember man didn't become a living being until God, what? <laughs> Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so they died spiritually first. They were cut off from the life of God. They were separated from the life of God. Then physically, their spirit eventually left their body. And this would include, now listen to this, spiritual death and physical death includes sickness and disease. It includes mental malady of the soul as well as poverty, and we could call that the curse of the law. Realize, say, the curse of the law. Curse of the law. It brought a curse, what Adam and Eve did. And then eventually, eventually, eternal death, and eternal death has to do with being eternally separated from God's spirit, soul, and body in the lake of fire. It's an awesome, awesome thing, terrible thing that happened to Adam and Eve when they ate of that fruit. They died spiritually. They eventually died physically. And then the eternal punishment of that was to be separated from God in the lake of fire. For how long? For how long? Forever. That's something, isn't it? And because we're in them, that we're descendants of them, that, was head, that punishment was headed our way. It was headed our way. Don't mind that. We're going to get that fixed. We need to get that fixed. Are you going to mind that? Okay. (laughs) So, say this. Say spiritual death, physical death, and then what? What? Eternal death. Eternal. Separated from God for eternity. Now, People ask me sometimes that Adam and Eve, what do you think happened to them? Well, you notice that when they missed it, they went out and made fig leaves, didn't they? Tried to cover, didn't, didn't they take fig leaves and, and put some kind of a garment together to try to cover themselves? How many remember that? See, man's always trying to do something to, 
How many of you know our works won't get us back right with God? And so God brought them tunics or animal skins. Is that right? Well, God had to shed blood to get those animal skins, didn't he? And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission or forgiveness or covering or atoning of sins. So I believe, Adam and Eve, that God had a covenant with them. And we see that through those animal skins, which implied a shedding of blood. But then isn't it good to know, right after Adam and Eve sinned, isn't it good to know that God came in there and immediately He started talking to them about the seed of the woman, which is talking about the virgin birth and who was born of the virgin. Anybody know? Jesus. And so, really, the gospel was first preached in the Garden of Eden to Adam and Eve. People ask me sometimes, how did they get saved in the Old Testament? Same way we get saved in the New Testament, by faith in the Messiah, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only difference is, they were looking forward to the cross, we look backward to the cross, but it's always been Jesus and the cross and His death, burial, and resurrection. Now, how many of you remember, God immediately came in there and told, started talking about the seed of the woman to Adam and Eve. Is that right? Yes or no? Okay. So, so, so they got saved by faith... And they had a covenant of blood, of course, with God. We see that through the animal skins. But, of course, it was the preaching of Jesus and the, the faith that they had in Him. So I believe, personally, Adam and Eve got saved. Now, that's what, what I think. Now, how many types of death are there? I want to be sure you're getting this. Three. What's the first one? What's the second one? What's the third one? Eternal. Are you Okay. And now, did that just affect Adam and Eve, or did that affect all of us? All of us. All of us. Everybody. Now, let me say this, and, 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 and I'll, just, I'll just note these because for the sake of time. But in the book of Hebrews... It brings out that Jesus, by the grace of God... How many of you are glad for the grace of God? That, that's His unmerited, undeserved favor. says that Jesus might taste death for everyone. How many of you are glad He came and tasted death for you and me? See, as you study the Bible, the blood of the animals in the Old Testament could only cover sin. And we see the shedding of blood with Adam and Eve there with those animal skins. But that shedding of blood could only cover the people's sins for so long. And they had to do it year by year in the Old Covenant. Is that right? And they did it more than that, but essentially Day of Atonement, year by year. But the blood of the animals could only cover people's sins for a limited period of time. And if something's covered, it can be what? Uncovered. Eventually, sin had to be ultimately and completely dealt with. And that's what Jesus, that, that was his mission. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And who, who tempted Adam and Eve in the garden? The serpent tempted the woman and then deceived her. And then she got talked, to, talked her husband into it. He ate. See, she was deceived. He wasn't. You need to understand that. That's what made this so heinous. The woman was deceived, but man, Adam, full well knew what he was doing. He committed high treason against God and he essentially in essence bowed his knee to the devil you need to understand that heinous thing that he did and he sold us all out you need to realize that and spiritual death physical death and eternal death was headed our way but Jesus came that he might taste death for everyone how many of you glad he came and tasted death for I mean, we, you, you don't need to look it up now, but that's Hebrews 2.9. You can just mark that down and look it up. He might taste death for everyone. There's another scripture. You can just mark this for the sake of time. 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18 says that he came the just for the unjust. How many of you know Jesus was just and he never sinned? No, not one time. Was he tempted in all points like as we are? Yes. Could he have sinned? It was possible he could have, but guess what? He didn't. How many is glad he didn't? He, he, just, he never did. 
If it wasn't possible for him to sin, then the temptations wouldn't have been valid. It was possible for him to. He just never did. You need to realize when Jesus operated in this earth, he operated as our representative. He was 100% God, but yet he was 100% man. And in the earth, in his earthly ministry, he never operated as God, not one time. Though he was God, he didn't operate as God one time. He operated as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. You need to understand that. You understand that? Was he God? 100%. But he operated as a man. See, he, he's the only begotten son of God. What that means is the unique. He's the only one who's, who, who, who can lay his hand on deity and humanity. Do you understand that? See, we're men, men, humans. We're created in the image and likeness of God. But I can't lay my hand on deity. I'm humanity. So are you. Do you understand that? But Jesus is the only one who can lay his hand on humanity and deity at the same time. Did, did you get what I said there? But did he operate in the earth? How did he operate in the earth as a, as, as a man? He operated as our representative. How many of you are glad that Jesus is our representative? Wonderful news. And the Bible says that, that Christ also suffered once for sins. This is First Peter 3.18. He suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. See, we're unjust And he came, the just, and he gave his life for us. The just for the what? Unjust. And the book of Daniel, you can look this up sometime, Daniel 9.26 says that Messiah, that's Jesus, shall be cut off, but not for himself. See, Jesus, we're going to see here in a moment, he was cut off. But not for himself. On the cross he was cut off. But not for himself. Well who was he cut off for? For you and me. All the way back to Adam and Eve. Everyone who's ever lived. He was cut off. But not for himself. That word cut off could also mean. He was separated. See he was cut off. He was separated. Cut off. But not for himself. That's good news isn't it? How many of you know that's good news? If he hadn't come and been cut off, you and I would have spent eternity burning in hell. You need to understand that. Real serious subject here today. So let's pick up with Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Sweating drops of blood. He was then arrested. After being falsely accused... Jesus was crowned with thorns. He was mocked, spit upon. His beard was plucked out. He was beaten unmercifully and then taken to be crucified. And at 9 a.m., the Bible says that on Mount Calvary, Golgotha, the place of the skull, the Roman soldiers crucified him. It's interesting. The Bible says, and there they crucified him. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about the crucifixion process. But you study that process out sometime and you study what crucifixion was. We could take hours to talk about it. It was a brutal, 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 brutal way to put someone to death. You need to understand that. The Bible simply says there they crucified him. But in that one word crucified was, I mean, he'd already been whipped and beaten immersively. And all of which I just said, and then crucified him. And he hung there for approximately six hours. From 9 a.m. in the morning till approximately 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Before he died. Now, the Bible declares Jesus as the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Taking away the sin of the world. You see all the lambs and the other animals in the, Old, in the Old Testament. Those sacrifices were all, every last one of them, were types of Jesus' death on the cross. All of the shedding of the blood in the Old Testament of the animals, they were all a type of Jesus' blood. You see, they're, they're pointing to that. Pointing to Jesus. And Jesus shed his precious blood... For the sins of all humanity. How many of you are glad that he did that on that old rugged cross? And so, as he hung upon the cross, he hung there as the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. But I also want to call your attention to John 3.14, if you would, if you'd go there. 
We're looking at Jesus' death today. Now, notice John 3.14, as Jesus himself says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, Jesus is making reference to the time when they lift him up upon the cross when he's crucified. You okay? And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, that serpent there is a type of sin. It's a type of sin. And as Jesus hung upon the cross, it's interesting, something happened at high noon. Does anybody know what happened at high noon? Darkness covered the land. Darkness in Scripture, very oft times, is symbolic of the judgment of God. Now, you might wonder... Now, was Jesus the Lamb of God hanging on that cross? Yes. Uh, No question about that. But there was another side of it that a lot of times folks don't want to talk about it, but the Bible is abundantly clear. That serpent is a type of sin. Type of sin. And... A lot of times when folks talk about the the cross, they just talk about the physical, natural side of it. And as as important as that is, there's also a spiritual side going on at the same time. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that serpent's a type of sin. Now look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. says, He, God, the Father, made Him Jesus, who knew no sin. Was Jesus a sinner? No. Did He ever sin one time? Not one time. But that just Savior, who never sinned one time, the Lamb of God, He, was, he the Father, made Him the Son, who knew no sin, to be what? To be sin. For who? For us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in Him, in Jesus. Now, it's interesting. The Father made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin. Well, there you see Jesus lifted up on the cross. That, 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 That serpent is a type of sin. Now, I'm not saying Jesus became a serpent. Say amen. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that that when he hung there on the cross, actually, if you want to know what happened, as I've studied it out, from 9 a.m. to noon, he hung there as the Lamb of God, taking away the sin of the world. At high noon, darkness covered the land, and at that time, I believe, he became sin. And at that time, the, the, all the sins of humanity were laid upon him. That word sin, he knew no sin. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. That word sin, in that word sin, there's two meanings. There's a dual meaning in it. Sin offering and then literal sin. Sin offering and literal sin. And you, you see, when Jesus hung, hung on the cross from 9 a.m. till noon, I'm convinced he hung there as the sin offering taking away the sin of the world. And then at high noon, when that darkness covered the land, I believe that's when when he became actual literal sin, and sin was laid on him, and he became sin. He became sin. Listen to this. This is profound. He became sin without ever... This is profound. Without ever committing a sin, he became sin. Just like you and me, without ever committing one righteous act, we become the righteousness of God when we place our faith in him. That's profound. That's profound what I just said there. It's worth coming to church for. Just that. I'll say it again. Without him... Committing a sin, he became 
sin. Just like you and I, without committing one righteous act, we become the righteousness of God by simply placing our faith in Him. See, Adam fell, Jesus stepped in our place. And you understand what I'm saying? Adam sinned. Adam sinned to become a sinner. Jesus didn't sin. He didn't become a sinner. He stepped in our place. And can you say amen? And he bore spiritual death. He bore physical death. He bore eternal death so that you and I wouldn't have to. Just what was due Adam, what was due Eve, what was due you and me, he came in and took it for us. Isn't that wonderful? For he made him, back Second Corinthians 5.21, the Father made the Son, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin. In that word sin, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a connotation of sin offering. And then there's also, means, it means literal sin. And, and, and you ought to read uh, Leviticus, the 16th chapter sometime. Don't, don't, don't go do it now, but do it sometime later today or, or this week. Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. Listen to me, what happened on the Day of Atonement. Just, just, just watch this. Now just look up here and watch this. Write that down, look up here. There was two goats, two goats. These were types of Jesus dying on the cross. Day of Atonement, when the sins of the people were dealt with, two goats. One was the... One goat was known as the sin offering, and that goat was slaughtered. They took the priest, took the blood, sprinkled it on the mercy seat. Where did he sprinkle it? Mercy seat. That was the sin offering. There was how many goats were there? One was the sin the sin offering. It was slaughtered. Was Jesus slaughtered? Was his blood blood shed? Yeah. Yes. And where did the priest, where did I tell you he took the blood, he took it and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. But then there was another goat, and that goat was called the scapegoat. And the high priest would lay his hands on that. Now, now the one lamb was slaughtered and killed. The sin offering. But the other one was not, was, never died. Never died. Priest laid his hands on him, confessed over him the sins of Israel, the sins of the people, and then that goat was sent away alive into the wilderness, never to be heard of again. Did you get that? That's going to come up again here in just a few minutes. You got that? So one was the say sin offering, and then the other one say the scapegoat. One was slaughtered, the other one was kept alive. One represented the physical side of Calvary, one represented the spiritual side of Calvary, what Jesus did. People all over the place talk about the physical side of it, but few people talk about the spiritual side of it. But the Bible's abundantly clear. What Jesus did for us to redeem us back to God. Are you okay? Now look at Galatians 3.13. Christ has what? Redeemed us, set us free from what? The curse of the law. Now that's good news, isn't it? He set us free from spiritual death, physical death, eternal death, the curse, sickness, disease. Poverty and lack. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse. He became a what? Curse. Well, Corinthians just said he became what? He became sin. Here it says he became a curse. For us. For who? Well, that's, I mean, we, we, we could never thank God enough for this right here. Christ has redeemed or set us free from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree or on a cross, you see. And then if you read on, it says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles or come on us. Why did Jesus go to the cross? He went to the cross 
to uh, bear our sins, to become a curse, so that the blessing could come on us. Can you say amen? amen? Now, since we're looking at his death, go to Psalm 22, and we're going to read several verses. Are you all, are you all okay? Are you doing all right out there? This is interesting, isn't it? Now, Jesus made several statements or cries from the cross or however you want, statements or things that he said from the cross. We won't go through those this morning, though I could, but let's just look at one of them here. Look at Psalm 22, verse 1. This is, this is prophesying about what Jesus would, would, what, what, what would be happening to him on the cross. And it starts out with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you, did you know he said that, didn't he? He was quoting this psalm here because this is what was happening to him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that would imply that, that there's something's different now because he never, he never said that about the Heavenly Father until right there. Is that right? He's always, we're one, you're right with me. Is that correct? There's something different. What's different here? The sins of mankind have been laid upon him. He's been cut off, but not for himself. On that cross, as I said, he hung, I believe, from nine until noon. As the sin offering, he, he was slaughtered. They beat him immersively. They hung him on the cross. As the sin offering, he shed his precious blood to, to eradicate sin, to wash away sin. But at noon, when darkness came, I believe that's when the sins of mankind was laid upon him, when he became sin, when he became a cur- when he became a curse and my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. That doesn't, something's different here. Didn't he say, Father, I know you always hear me when I pray. Didn't he say that? And in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you're holy and thrown in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you. They were delivered. You, they trusted in you. And we're not ashamed. But I am a what? What's this making reference to? It's making reference to when even as Moses lifted up the what? Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Right there you have it. He's making reference to that. But I'm a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. See those people were saying that. Weren't they saying that when he was hanging on the cross? Verse 9. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you... Have been my God, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have certain watch it. Many bulls have surrounded me, strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gave it me with their mouths like raging like a raging and roaring lion. Actually, you study into it, that's demon power. I'm poured out, verse 14, like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings in my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For, now watch this. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. That's talking about the Roman soldiers there. I can count my bones. They look and stare at me. You know, they did that, didn't they? They divide my garments among them. Did they do that? And for my clothing, they what? Cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Talking more about demon power. Now, if we read the rest of that psalm, we'd see that the tone changes and it goes into the resurrection. But we're not talking about that today. We'll get to that on Easter Sunday. 
Look at Isaiah 52, verse 14. But don't ever forget this. I believe and no doubt, there's no question, Jesus was raised from the dead. Can you say amen? amen? But we're looking at his death here today. Look at Isaiah 52, 14. Talking about Jesus, Isaiah prophesying, says, Just as many as were astonished at you, this is Isaiah 52, 14, Just as many as were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. You think about that. As Jesus hung on the cross... The be- See, people think about the beating that he took, and that was, that, was, that, was, that was horrendous. But I'm convinced what caused this, what we just read about now, was when all the sins of mankind, the sickness, disease, the mental malady, every, every part of the curse of the law, everything was laid upon him in that one place, in that one time, in in his body, in his spirit, his soul. And in that moment, he became unrecognizable as a man. Why was he doing this? He was doing it for you and for me. In this moment that we just read about there is when he was made sin, when... He became the curse. Just as many as were astonished at you, so his vicious was marred more than any man, more than the sons of men. And then we move into Isaiah. You ought to think about verse 14, long and hard. That's Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who's believed our report? Now, whenever I read that, I always say, I do. I know if you do, but I do. God's saying, who's believed our report? Get into a habit of whenever you read Isaiah 53, 1, say, I do. Who has believed our report? I do. I do. If you don't, you're going to go to hell. It's as simple as that. Who has believed our report? About half our congregation is going to hell, honey. We need to work on them. Who has believed our report? I do. I believe it. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There you go. Amen. For he, talking about Jesus now on the cross, watch it. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness. When we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Actually, what this says is no, mad, no majestic beauty, nothing in his appearance that we should desire. There's no kingly pomp. How many of you know he went riding in Jerusalem, not on a white stallion, but on a donkey? Is that right? But, but in the, at this time, certainly, there was no, no form nor, nor, nor I mean, he, hanging on the cross there, awesome thing. Awesome. Awesome. Horrific. What, 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 uh, the Amplified brings out, if you were to look at him on the cross, he'd become, he'd, he'd become an object of horror. That's what the Amplified says. I think it's that verse, I think it's that verse, Isaiah 52, 14. Can we throw that back up there? I think it's that one, Isaiah 52, 14. Can we throw that over into the Amplified? I think is where it says it. I, I, I think is where it says it. Over in the Amplified. Yeah, yeah, you're, you get it. That's okay, Isaiah 54, Isaiah 50, was it 52, 14? Isaiah 52, 14, and then just throw it to the Amplified. There you go. For, for many, the servant, thank you, for many, the servant of God became an object of, of what? Many were astonished at him. His face and his whole appearance were marred more than any man's. His form beyond that of the sons of men. An object of, what does that first line say? He became object of what? That's when, that's when he became sin. Now back to Isaiah 
53. Let's go to verse 3 in the New King James. Isaiah 53. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. Why, why would you hide your face? Because he'd become an object, object of what? He was despised. We did not esteem him. Verse 4. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And that actually, I think, translates out into sicknesses and pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus bore the judgment of God on Mount Calvary. That was due mankind. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. You see sin being laid on him, transgressions, iniquities. You see mental malady, he bore that. No, no reason to be depressed anymore, he bore that for you. And by his stripes, there's physical healing. In that one place on Calvary's cross, he bore our sins, sickness, disease, poverty. He bore it all. The Bible says, I don't have it in my notes, but he became poor that we might be made rich. means abundant supply. Not necessarily a millionaire, but abundant supply. Look at verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of who? He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He let, was led He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth, the Lamb of God. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? He was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. Verse 9, they, they, now watch this, and they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death in the Hebrew, that word death is an intensive plural, indicates deaths is how it should read. Well, what is that making reference to? It's making reference to what? Spiritual death, physical death, and eternal. Don't believe me? Go study it out. That word death is in the Hebrew, it's an intense, it's not just a plural, it's an intensive plural. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. Why? So he wouldn't have to put us to it. When you make his soul an offering for sin. See, it wasn't just his body. It was spirit, soul, and body. There was a physical side to it. There's a spiritual side to it. His soul was an offering for sin. As well as his blood. As well as his body. It was a package deal. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his day. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. What does that mean? That means on the third day, the claims of a holy God were met. Can you say amen? Remember that. By his knowledge... By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. Justify who? New Testament says everyone that believes in him. For he shall bear whose iniquities? Their iniquities. Therefore I'll divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he's poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. 3 p.m., he dies. He yields up his spirit, doesn't he? Now, just as I close this up here, give me a few more minutes. Is it okay if I take a few more minutes? Yes or no? How many of you know Jesus? He said, it is finished. He yields up his spirit. A lot of people think everything's finished right there, right then, boom. You study into it. The law of Moses was finished. But if salvation was completely finished right there, why, why, why does he even need to be raised from the dead? Hmm? 
you ever think about that? There's a lot accomplished and finished on the cross, yes. But if, if the complete work of salvation was com- completely finished right there, let's just, let's just leave Jesus on the cross. But how many of you know there needed to be a resurrection? See, you can't just pick on one of these things and center in on it. You can't. How many of you know I preach the cross? The cross, the cross. I'm preaching the cross this morning. But, but, but there's also has to be a resurrection. If you don't have a resurrection, the cross, meaningless. Did you hear what I just said? How many of you know the virgin birth? How many of you know that's important too, isn't it? If you don't have the virgin birth, the, the cross is powerless. Because not just anybody could die up there. It had to be the spotless Lamb of God. Do you understand that? A man untainted with sin. You okay? So he dies at 3 p.m. He yields up his spirit. And the big argument is, well, where did his spirit go? And the Bible is clear. I'm going to close by telling you. First of all, didn't Jesus himself say, That as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he wasn't talking about the tomb. The word heart there means the inner part, the spiritual inner, the spirit, the inner workings of the earth. How many of you know that? He didn't he say that three days and three nights? Is that right? And how many of you know after he was raised from the dead, how many of you know that when Mary came to him, he said, touch me not for I have not yet what? So we know up to that, after he died on the cross, three days later, he still hadn't gone up to heaven, had he? He still hadn't gone up yet. He was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. But people say, well, where did he go? Look at Acts 2.31. Folks, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you could never hear this message too much. And now, here, Peter is speaking and he's quoting David in the Psalms. From, he's quoting Psalm 16, but uh, from Psalm 16, Acts 2.31. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades. Some Bibles translate that word hell. The Greek word is Hades. It has to do with the spiritual underworld. How many of you know at that time... In the inner underworld, in the spirit realm, in the inner workings of the earth, basically, there was two compartments. Now, there was more, but, but, but basically, as it pertains to man, there was two. There was hell, the place of torment, and then there was what's known as paradise or Abraham's bosom. Remember, Jesus said to the thief, today you'll be with me in... And between the two, there was a great gulf fixed that the, he couldn't pass across it. How many remembers that? So... He says right here, he foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ that his soul was not left in Hades, nor his flesh did see corruption. That, that word Hades means underworld, but it's interesting. Do some homework and you'll see that every place in the New Testament that this word that's used right here for Hades, every place that it's listed in the New Testament, it is always listed as the place of torment. Every single time. Jesus, when his spirit left his body, remember Adam, his, 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 his penalty was how many fold? How many? Spiritual, physical, and eternity in hell. Lake of fire. Is that right? So Jesus, his spirit, it's clear From this, just from this, where his spirit went. But if that's not enough for you, let's go to Romans 10, 6 and 7 and we'll pin it right down. It'll pin it right down for you. You got Romans, I I don't know what I said, I meant Romans 10. You got Romans 10? Six, but the right, are you there? But Romans 10, 6, but the righteousness of faith speaks on in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the, where? 
abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. Now that pinpoints exactly for you where Jesus' spirit went during those three days and nights. Where did his spirit go into the, into the abyss? Now don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. This is the same place that the legion of demons, remember when Jesus cast the demons out of that, lead, that, 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 that maniac of Gadara in that legion, said don't send us out into the abyss and they'd rather go into the swine. They would have rather went into the swine than to go to this place. In the book of Revelation, this word abyss is translated every single time, bottomless pit. Strong's Dictionary, Strong is a scholar, he defines this place as the infernal abyss. And W.E. Vine, who's another scholar, in his, in his reference works, defines, listen, defines this as the abode of demons and the abode of the lost dead. That's where Jesus went. The Bible is clear. You and I must understand that Adam and Eve all the way down, every person that's ever lived, including you and me, we all, every last one of us, had a temporary appointment on that cross. And we had an eternal appointment in this place right here. Do you understand that? I'm going to say it again. Every single person that's ever lived other than Jesus has had a temporary appointment on that cross, a six-hour appointment on that cross, and an eternal appointment in this abyss. Every person that's ever lived on this earth has had an eternal appointment in this abyss and a temporary appointment on that cross. Every Oh, boy, this, well, I've never said it like this before. Every person that has ever lived has had a temporary six-hour appointment on that cross of Calvary and an eternal appointment in this abyss. Every single person that's ever lived except one who didn't have an appointment there, his name is Jesus. He didn't have an appointment on the cross and he didn't have an appointment in this place, this abyss. But Adam did, Eve did, Moses did, David did. Joshua did, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did, you and I did, we had an appointment there, but Jesus never had an appointment on the cross, he never had an appointment there, but guess what, before the foundation of the world, he went and he said, I'll fill that appointment for him, can you say amen? The only one that didn't have an appointment, he came and took the appointment for you and me. And he died on that cross as a sin offering. He became sin. He shed his blood. He bore the curse. All of that. He died on the cross. His spirit left his body. Clearly his spirit, there is no doubt about it, went in to this place right here into this abyss, into this region of the doomed. Let me ask you a question. Where does a sinner go that they've never accepted Jesus when they die? Where do they go? They go where? To hell. Why? Because they rejected what Jesus did for them on the cross and what he did for them in in that place. But if you receive him, you don't have to go there. Why? Because he went there for you. It's interesting, I'll just throw this in a little, theology, little theological point. Think of man as temporal and God as eternal. And it's interesting, the temporal was to face an eternal punishment in hell. But no, the eternal came and faced a temporal time in hell, thus satisfying the claims of a holy God. Isn't that wonderful? You ought to get the tape and read that one back and look at that one. That was good, what I just said. I'll say that again. The temporal man was to face an eternal punishment in hell, but the eternal came and stayed there three days and three nights, temporally, thus satisfying the claims of a holy God. Isn't that wonderful? Chew on that one a little bit. And he went in there, and I don't know all the details of what happened in there, but we read over there in Isaiah that at a certain point, 
The claims of a holy God were satisfied. You know, I don't ever like to preach a message and leave Jesus on the cross, and I don't ever like to preach a message and leave him in hell. So let me just, can you give me about two more minutes? Yes or no? On the third day, he said that he would, the Bible said he saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. Remember, we read that a moment ago. And you can read what happened in the book of Hebrews. The word of God came in to, to this place that we just read about where Jesus was for you and for me. The word of God came in there. The book of Hebrews says exactly what words God used. And the Holy Spirit, the power of God came in there and raised him up from that spiritual separation that he was experiencing for you and me. And, and basically, I like to say it this way. Jesus was cut off for us, but on the third day he was hooked back up. See, Adam, through Adam we were cut off from the life of God. Jesus came, took our place. He was cut off for us, but on the third day... He got hooked back up with the life of God. And the book of Ephesians tells us that when he got hooked back up, we got hooked back up with him. Can you say amen? amen. And how many of you know he didn't stay in this place? On the third day, the power of God hit him. The Bible calls him the firstborn from the dead and the firstborn among many brethren. Is that right? But how many of you know Jesus wasn't the first to ever be raised from physical death? Is that right? Other people in the Bible had been raised from physical death. They just died again. Is, is that right? But Jesus was the first to be raised from what we call spiritual death or spiritual separation. He was the first, Bible clear, first born again man. And that happened in this place, this abyss. The power of God hit him and he was hooked back up with the life of God. When he got hooked back up, we got hooked back up with him. He's called the firstborn from the dead. And you see the difference between Jesus and all the other people that died, you know, in the Old Testament, New Testament. difference is, is that when Jesus got raised from physical death, he never dies again. Can you say amen? Glory to God. That, 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 that's, that's exciting. So what happens is the power of God hits him, and then he's hooked back up with the life of God, and he walks over. There's no question about it in my mind. He walks over to the gates of hell itself, and guess what? Nobody else had ever been able to walk out of there, but because Jesus, watch, oh, this is good. Because Jesus had never sinned, say he'd never sinned. Because he had never sinned, he was able to take the keys of hell and death, and he was able to walk out of hell. Can you say amen? And when he walked out, we walked out with him. Glory to God. When he got the keys of hell and of death, we got those keys with him. Praise God. And he did something nobody ever did. He walked, I'm convinced of, he walked across that great divide. Praise God. He came over into Abraham's bosom or paradise. In Psalm 22, if you read the rest of it, you'd see they had a praise service over there. Bless God. And they praised God. And then he was raised. Glory to God. The angel came down, rolled the stone away. Jesus came back up into his physical body. The power of God hit his physical body. And he got a glorified body. Can you say amen? His spirit came into his body. Praise God. And he walked out of that tomb. And he said, all authority in heaven and in earth has been given unto me. Glory to God. And then Mary shows up. And he says, don't touch me. For I have not yet ascended to my Father. And he goes up, the Hebrews tells us, praise God, he goes up into heaven itself with his holy blood. And he walks in into the heavenly holy of holies, bless God. And he takes his holy precious blood and he puts it on the heavenly mercy seat. And God the Father accepts it. And then he sits down at the right hand of God on high. And when he sat down there, bless God, we sat down with him. Because the Bible says we're seated with Christ in, he oh, in heavenly places. Can you say amen? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. My God. And Jesus Christ Himself bought and paid for our salvation. My God. He bought it and He paid for it. And then He said, now all you have to do is turn to Me and believe on Me and I'll mark it to your account. Bless God. Woo! Glory to God. Can you say Amen? My God, that's good, isn't it? My goodness gracious. My, if you're bored with that, I'll tell you, you need to get saved. Praise God. How many of you glad he went there so we don't have to? Whew. How many of you glad he went to the cross so we don't have to? How many glad he went into hell so we don't have to? Oh, yeah. Bible's clear. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Let's pass the communion out. 
Maybe now it'll mean a little more to you maybe than it did before. I'm not saying it didn't before, but every time I preach on this, this communion just means more and more to me.